Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life He gives. Good morning, church. How are y'all doing? Y'all been enjoying the sunshine? Love the sunshine. Summer is my favorite time of year. I know that there's varying opinions about that. Fall, maybe a close second. There's some winter folks in here. How many winter folks are here? Yeah, that's all right. We still love y'all. Y'all are like, the rest of you are flatlanders looking out. Um, This morning, I'd like to start our conversation with a verse from a book we actually studied earlier in the year, 1 Thessalonians. And it's a short few verses. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. First verse. That verse is so good. They just like kept it short. They're like, that's so good. We got to give it its own verse. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Today, we'll be talking about the prophetic necessity of joy. I believe this, that when Paul instructs the church in Thessalonica, rejoice always, that he's giving the church a prophetic commission, a commission to be God's hope made flesh in their world, to embody God's hope in the world. Have you noticed that cynicism and despair are dominant forces in our world? How many of you have noticed that? Cynicism and despair. But what if we are called to the at times difficult task of being a people known by joy, of being a people known by joy. What would it look like if we were a church, a community of people, individuals that resisted the current of cynicism, which we're often easily taken by? What if we courageously chose joy as an act of resistance? And so that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Rejoice always. So good, it gets its own verse, right? Joy, though, isn't always easy, is it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? The call to joy, I will say, is not a suppression or denial of difficult emotions. You'll you'll know that's true, right? Because a couple weeks ago, Do you remember the title of my sermon? Anyone remember the title of the sermon I preached? Anyone, just shout it out if you remember it. Extra credit. The Art of Weeping. Yes, yeah. And so I brought you that a couple weeks ago, and now I'll bring you a sermon on joy because we got to balance it out, right? Um, Joy and lament are not opposites. Now, It's right here in the sermon where I typically give you a really neat definition of joy here, but I'd like to actually focus our attention instead of doing that on the source of joy, the source of joy. Joy is first and foremost a free gift from God. Joy is grace. And as such, joy is able to hold all of our despair lament, grief, pain. It doesn't ignore, suppress it, but it hopefully insists, this is what joy does, it hopefully insists that grace is present 
in that there is more to the story, that despair and cynicism don't have the last word. Can I get an amen? We got to start adding maybe say laws to our church gatherings, right? If there's more say laws in scripture than amens, but we'll do amens today because I just want to. So maybe we'll have some say laws. We'll take some say laws later. Is that cool? Okay. Joy then, if that's true, is not manufactured. It It is discovered as a grace from God. I'll say that again. Joy then is not manufactured. It is discovered as a grace from God. I've been reading this book this last week from an Old Testament scholar. His name's Walter Brueggemann. Y'all heard about him a few weeks ago, but he wrote a book entitled Three Urgent Prophetic Tasks, Reality, Grief, and Hope. And the book uses a correlation between this narrative that we read in the Old Testament where we see the, the destruction of Jerusalem. So he uses that narrative to correlate it to um, modern day moment-changing crises that have shaped kind of the current situation we are in. And he actually speaks of often in the book 9-11 as one of those moments as an example. So moments that move entire communities of people into a state of despair and dislocation. Uh, when, When ideological and theological certainty, security are stripped away, and he highlights three tasks in those moments. So you see them in the Old Testament in this, this moment when Jerusalem has been destroyed, where the prophetic voice and act arises. And he'd say that these are also tasks for uh, the modern day, when we find ourselves in these moments, these crises, moments that shape and alter the way we think about the world that we find ourselves in. And the three he gives are reality, or in other words, truth-telling in the face of harmful ideology. So ideology like exceptionalism or anti-kingdom ideology, grief in the face of denial, giving words to the lament and the pain that we feel when Uh, cynicism can actually be an act of numbing it and ignoring it, right? And lastly, the prophetic act of hope in the face of despair. I would argue, and perhaps you'd agree, that since Brueggemann wrote that book, things have not improved much for American society. And these urgent tasks are as needed as ever. Um, The last few years, it seems like the crises that we're facing as a a larger community, as a nation, they've been exacerbated and amplified. Nothing's really new, right? But it's a bit louder. Do you know what I'm talking about? Think of some of the things we've had to address in our gatherings just over the last few weeks, racism, violence, political divide, and some of those things on more than one occasion, right? They've come up just over the last few weeks, and it's heartbreaking. And uh, this isn't to even mention the effects of the last couple years on our collective psyche, the, pan- the, the pandemic, right? Uh, I don't think we've begun to unravel all of the ways in which we've been shaped by the trauma of the last couple years, because that's really what the last 
couple of years have been. Cynicism is an easy response to that context. It's, it can be a kind of narcotic to numb the despair, I would argue, uh, cynicism as an easy response. So these urgent tasks that Brueggemann highlights are needed now more than ever, or perhaps as much as they have ever been needed, not only for our own well-being, but as the message of God's hope to the world. And so all three are important, but we're going to focus our attention this morning on the last, hope in the face of despair, and the call to announce and experience hope in the, in the face of despair is to be able to discover joy here and now, to discover the grace of God, which is here with us now. Joy is not manufactured. It is discovered as a grace from God. And so that's why I believe that Brueggemann refers to hope in the face of despair as like a prophetic task, an urgent prophetic task. Because when, when we say prophetic, right, we often think of prophecy as future, uh, predicting the future, right, or, or fortune, fortune telling, or in the context of a church, we might think of prophecy as a spiritual gift, which only a few super spiritual all-stars have, right? But in the Old Testament, we see that these urgent tasks, the prophetic, takes many shapes and forms, right? It's reality. It's truth-telling. It's calling out injustice when you see it and calling it evil and injustice, what it is, right? We see the, the Old Testament prophets participate in what I would call acts of guerrilla protests. It's saying, no, that's not how the world should be. That is not a reflection of God's justice and God's kingdom. And it's looking at the brokenness, the things which we speak of, which cause our hearts to be broken, and it's naming it. It's lamenting. It's grieving. But we also see another thing that the prophetic voice does, and it comes in, in, in specifically, Brueggemann outlines in this book how in the people of Israel, in their moment, we're on, they're on the very brink of despair, the prophetic voice arises and announces something completely surprising, that there is hope and joy and grace to be found here and now. And so that is the task we are called to, to share and experience joy, is to announce hope is to be and embody God's hope to the world. So, if joy is not manufactured, it's discovered as a gift of God, how do we discover it? That's the question, right? Because joy isn't always easy. We settled it. I got a, a good amount of amens. And when you get a few amens at Church of the Well here in Vermont, you know that it's resonating because... It's like people clapping at a concert. It just doesn't happen. Now, <laughs> you can tell Kevin's laughing because he was a pastor here in Vermont. <laughs> I, now, I have the incredible privilege of being a father to two amazing young women. You saw one of them here, Zia and Anaya, who's a bit older. 
and they are a constant source of discovering joy for me. Sometimes uh, they're a constant source of discovering messy joy, literally messy joy. My, my wife Luann has this ongoing thread on Instagram, stretching back years, uh, called Zia Was Here. How many of you have seen Zia Was Here? Sometimes I run into people on the streets, and I'm not joking, who I do not know, but they follow Luann on Instagram, and they tell me about how they appreciate Zia, the Zia Was Here thread. And so I have a few uh, Zia Was Here slides for you. Let's get the first. Zia Was Here. Okay, the next Zia was here. And another. Yes, messy. Yes, a little, little more heartbreaking. This is, a, this is a, um, a frog in the car, in case you can't see what that is. Yes, that's a frog in the car. Uh, that's a... Um, three Lunchables opened, and all of the cookies from the Lunchable in one mouth. I think we have a video next. Oh my lord, this is terrifying. Oh my gosh, next slide. Love that. You're welcome. Oftentimes, the discovery is a bit sweeter. Uh, the other night when I was tucking Zia in for bed, I told her that I loved her and that I would love her always. And she said, I'll love you forever, Dada. Sweet, right? Moments of discovering joy. She then continued. She said, I'll love you even when you're dead. So we don't have time for the details this morning, but one of the things, because this is a, there's no way to transition out of that, right? You can, okay, yes, we went to black, amazing, okay. One of the things Brueggemann lays out in his book is to show how that the Israelites, and we spoke of this earlier, when they're on the very brink of despair, received a word of hope from God. This word that came from the prophets, it came as a complete surprise, and Brueggemann notes this, he writes this, that their lives shifted uh, in this moment of crises from an emotional sense of well-being to one of loss, from a political sense of guarantee to acute vulnerability, from a theological sense of chosenness to one of abandonment. They are experiencing loss, vulnerability, and abandonment. And it's in that place where the prophetic voice of hope arises and joy is able to be discovered again. And Brueggemann writes, and I do believe we do have a quote for this. This is maybe the one that came up. Thus, as despair knows about world loss in our time, so the work of hope is to conjure and imagine an alternative world now to be given from elsewhere. And that from elsewhere is, of course, from God. And so joy is not manufactured. It's not the result of our actions. I believe it's a grace to be discovered. I do believe this, 
that there are ways we can attune our hearts to joy here and now. Joy here and now. And this can start in small ways. What if we opened ourselves to discover joy in small and ordinary ways? And so we're going to practice that together. We're going to say law that together right now. And so I didn't invite you. Um, we're going to take a minute of silence. You can close your eyes or you can not close your eyes. And I'm going to invite you to reflect and consider some of the ways you've experienced joy over the last day or two. And if you need to, feel free to stretch that out over a week or two, because some of us need a week or two to think of the, the small ways, the ordinary ways we've experienced joy. I'll give you an example, as I do, just to get the imagination churning a little bit. And then if I could choose one word over the last few days, it would have been rain, because I had an opportunity to sit on the couch with the door and the windows open and to read a book, a Selah moment with the sound of rain in the background, a small, ordinary moment of joy. If you have a journal, feel free to write down some words or sentences that come to your mind. And in a minute, we'll conclude our Selah. I love it. I have a word now for it. And we will share some of those words with one another. So we'll take a minute. Okay. Thank you for participating in that say law with me. I'll, I'll share another one to kick us off, and then I'd love to hear some of, some of your thoughts. Another word for me would be truck stop. Truck stop. Last week, I took Anaya and Zia to the truck stop, and Zia saw a friend from preschool. And she went up to them, and she said, Jem, is it you? It's me, Zia. How about for you, small, ordinary moments of joy? Let's hear some words, and I'll write them down as well. Plums. Care to say more? Plums. Peonies. I'll have to spell that properly. And then, Abby, you can edit me later. Peonies. Yes, great. <laughs> Abby gave me the thumbs up. Thank you. Anyone else? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I heard lots of words. One word at a time. Over here. Baby laughter. Great. I'm just going to put baby. It's a great song. Justin Biebs. Okay. Anyone else? Creamies. Four E's? I believe it is four E's. 
They should give that to every Vermont politician as they give their stump speech, correct? You have to spell creamies, four E's. Okay. Amelia's final project presentation. I'm going to put Amelia. I think Amelia is the core. Summer barbecues, parties. We got a pastor that parties here. Amazing. Soul food. Mm. The pounds will be having some of that, I believe. Yes. Soul food. What a great word as well. Watercolors. Outside with Luann. How many of you went to the paint in the park? A few of you. I heard great things. You said watercolors, but paint is shorter. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. When we discover joy, we are participating in a pro prophetic, subversive act that insists that despair doesn't have the last word. And that's true of small joys and big joys alike. Can I give you all a task this week? It's this. Look for joy in small and ordinary ways this week. Maybe keep a small journal on you or a notepad or a piece of paper and a pen and write them down. Or perhaps if you see something, take your phone and camera out and take a picture. I have another picture for you. A few weeks ago, I shared with you all, I was on my way to Honduras, and where I was staying, there was a dog. There's dogs all over the place in Honduras. There was a dog, and he stayed there by that tree the entire time I was there for five days, looking up and barking and jumping up on the tree. There was something in the tree this dog wanted. I don't know what. It could have been a squirrel. Someone told me there was one of those like little baby lemur things with eyes that they had seen on the property a few days before. Perhaps it was one of those. He was trying to get a closer look. I don't know if he wanted to be its friend or if he wanted to eat it or what. And uh, there was something about the dog that brought me joy. I took my phone out and I just took a picture of that dog. <laughs> Small, ordinary ways. And so this week, um, take your phone out. You see something. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's obviously not a perfect picture. Joy is waiting to be discovered. And we need it now more than ever, right? To participate in the urgent prophetic task of subverting despair and cynicism with hope and joy. And we can begin discovering joy and grace in small ways. There's a book in the Bible you don't often hear quoted in church. The book of Ecclesiastes. It's perhaps not the most obvious book to bring up in a sermon about discovering joy. Here's the opening line from the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
When you go to seminary, they say, if you're going to preach a sermon on joy, this is the text you must go to. The teacher, the master teacher continues. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new. Under the sun, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. <laughs> again, uh, of course, this is a seminal text for sermons on joy. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Uh, there's this word. What on, hold on, let's pause for a second. Say law for a second. What on earth do these downer or seemingly downer of verses have to do with discovering joy? There's this word that we read over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaning meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This word is the Hebrew word havel, and it literally translates as mist or vapor. Meaningless. Life. It's here, right? Then it's gone, right? Meaningless. Everything is here, and then it's gone. It's here one moment, and then it's gone the next. There's a wisdom here from the teacher that joy and purpose can be found as we face our own mortality. One last, last excerpt from Ecclesiastes. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. All God's people said, amen. For God has already approved what you do. Enjoy life all the days of this life that God has given you under the sun. All your days. You see, there's a wisdom that comes from understanding life's fragility. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach me the brevity of life that I might present to you a heart of wisdom, a heart of wisdom, because we can either be taken into the depths of cynicism or we can learn to discover that joy and grace are here with us now that we are surrounded by grace. There's a saying from the Talmud, which is an ancient rabbinical tradition that comes from the Old Testament that says this, a person will be called to account on judgment day for every permissible thing he, I would add, or she might have enjoyed, but did not. I love that. For every permissible thing he or she might have enjoyed, but did not. Just prior to Jesus' death, in one of his last conversations with his disciple, he shared these words with them in a teaching, John 15, 
verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. If you are to leave these doors today, 60 Lake Street at Main Street Landing with one image and one thought from Jesus today, this would be a good one to leave with. That Jesus desires for you to be full of joy. Think of how that might shape your prayers or the way you read the Bible or the way that you think about Jesus if we were to truly believe that Jesus's heart is that we would be immersed with God's joy and grace and awakened to God's joy in our lives. So here's the thing. Uh, Not only does God want you to discover joy and hope for your own well-being, but God has called you to be God's hope and joy made flesh to the world, embodied to the world. You are called to announce and embody that hope and joy to a world in desperate need in it. There's a time to speak out and protest and call injustice and evil exactly what it is. And there's a time to lament, but joy, my brothers and sisters, is equally important. The prophetic, necessary task of joy, discovering, experiencing, sharing joy, to be the people whom God has called us to be as we announce and proclaim hope in the midst of despair. I think that would be a good place for us to pause and reflect and pray. And as I do, I think I'll invite the band up as well. And we're going to sing one last song together. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that in moments when we find ourselves, whether it is the collective we as a culture, as a society, as a nation, on the brink of despair, or we find ourselves in the midst of heartache and pain, dislocation, when uh, security and certainty have been stripped away, God, that your voice arises in those moment, moments and announces hope to us. God, as we go this week, I pray that our hearts would be attuned to your joy, which is here and now, which is a grace, which is a gift. So awaken our hearts, awaken our souls, our eyes to discover joy here and now. God, and help us be a church, be a community of people who embody your hope to a world that needs it, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.